Welcome to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. On the field, off the field, Rounding Third takes you inside Nashville Sounds baseball. Here's your host, Jeff Hem. Welcome to another edition of Rounding Third. It's Jeff Hem here with you, and today we restart Rounding Third with an episode involving sounds manager Rick Sweet. And Rick, I was telling you the other day, part of the reason I like to get managers when possible on the podcast is because you're kind enough to join me every week on the pregame show for the radio, but that's all talking about other guys and talking about the team and kind of the day-to-day. And I think people will enjoy hearing a little more about your path, both as a player and now a great long managing career. So thanks for your time in doing this. And, And let's go back to your playing days. Uh, A lot of different major league time for you with a few different teams. As you look back on it now, what are some of the things that you are most proud of of what you were able to do when you had your playing career? Well, I think number one, uh, I'm I'm most proud of the fact that I made it to the big leagues. Uh, I I came from the Northwest. There were only two scouts in anywhere in Washington, Oregon, Idaho in that area. Uh, so your chances of getting drafted were, were not very high in, in professional baseball. And at, when I started my, well, I went to college, started my professional career, uh, it went pretty fast. I, I played a short season, a year double A, year triple A, and I was in the big leagues. Um, so I, I think I'm very proud of that. I think the, probably the, the biggest moment is when I was traded to Seattle. And my first game in the Kingdome, uh, my, my mom and dad, all my family, I mean, all my family live in Washington. They were all there. And, and my first game, I, I hit a home run, which I, I, don't, I, I don't hit a lot of home runs. That wasn't a big part of my game. But I can remember hitting that home run in the Kingdome, and, and I, I don't think I, I touched the ground floating around the bases. It, it was exciting. It was exciting for my mom and dad and, and for the family. And uh, that probably stands out as the number one thing that, uh, that happened in my career. What was it like to play for the Mariners? Because you were from that area, as you said, but the timing becomes interesting because the Mariners had not been around all that long at the time you got there. So it wasn't like at the age of eight you knew you wanted to be a Mariner. No, and, and you know, they, they didn't have a team forever. The first big league game I ever saw was the one I played in. Really? Uh, being from the Northwest, there was no yeah. teams. And uh, so you, you grew up, you got to see maybe one or two AAA games a year. But the first big league game I ever saw was uh, the game I played in. And, you know, we didn't travel that much back then. I, I pretty much lived, was born and raised up there and didn't go anywhere. And, you know, so you, you don't have a chance to see games. Yeah. At the end of your big league career or toward the end of what you might have thought was going to be your, your playing career, when did managing or coaching or sort of that what am I going to do next start to come into your mind? And how did it land on what you've clearly had a great career doing? Well, actually, uh, I've always wanted to be a coach. I went to college to, to I wanted to be a, a high school counselor and, and be a coach. So coaching's always been in my blood. That's what I was going to do. Um, the fact that I, I played was not secondary. It's what you want to do. But, you, you, don't, you know, I mean, come on. You're, you're going to play in the big leagues. You may tell people that, and they look at you like, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so I had a good backup system. I always wanted to be a coach. Being a catcher. 
you know, you, you look at a lot, uh, catchers as the one position that's very involved in both aspects of the game, and they have a tendency to become pretty good managers and coaches because they do delve into both areas, both pitching and, and the offense. Yeah. So if I've got the timeline right, 1987 in the Northwest League was your first managing job. Uh, what were those first couple of games like when you're you're now the guy that's got to not just worry about yourself like you would as a player or the pitching staff when you're catching, but the 25-man roster? Well, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> uh, were you even born then? I was, thank oh, you very okay. much. Okay, well, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I can tell you right now, the first three or four years I managed, I was terrible. Uh, I, I wish I could go back and do so many things differently, but you learn because yeah. you're, you're like players. You're learning as you go. I thought I could help everybody. I thought I could make everybody a major league player. That was my, my mindset. And I, I soon learned after that first year that uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and you have to deal with that. You have to learn that sometimes you can't get through to guys. Sometimes you can't help guys for whatever reason. Sometimes they just don't have the skill set to do what you want them to do. Yeah. And, and it's all a learning process. I learned a lot those first two years, along with the fact that I think we were probably 35, 40 games under 500 those first two years. <laughs> Which... Uh, <laughs> which then uh, it further implanted how still at this time in your career, there's nothing that makes you happier than winning a ball game. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, you know, to me, I, I'll be honest with you, that's the American way. Yeah. We, we, we strive to win in everything we do. I think more so than any other country in the world because we have that freedom to have that desire to want to win. And, and so winning is important. Now, you learn that it's not the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, especially in the minor leagues. It's not. I mean, everybody likes to win. Everybody likes to be a winner. But sometimes you can learn and win as much from losing a game as you can from winning a game. And, and that's the direction you take. When you're losing games, there are reasons why you're losing games. And you take that to the players and say, okay, if we want to turn this around, these are the things we have to do. These are the lessons from this loss that we, we can and need to correct so to turn it around into a win. Well, you brought it up with saying some guys just don't have the skill set at times to get to the big leagues. This is a harsh game. It's a really hard game. The truth hurts sometimes in baseball, but that that's part of the gig, especially at AAA. These guys at AAA, even if they never get to the big leagues, they are still the best of the best of the best. It's just really hard to get up there. It, it is. And, and you know, once you get up there, they can never take it away. Once you get that cup of coffee, I don't care if it's one day, you, you've made it. You're a big leaguer. But it, it's tough. It, it's not easy. In, in any day and age, uh, it does not matter. The, the percentage, the numbers of guys that make it starting at high school and college that don't get drafted, then the ones that do get drafted, the numbers are still astronomical against them to get to the big leagues and play. Uh, it, it's a tough road, and, and, but it, it's well rewarded if you're able to make it. Even if you don't make it, you have fun in that process of trying to, to attain that goal of getting to the big leagues. I've heard you say this before. The game today, you've said, is not necessarily better than when you played. It's not worse than when you played. It's just different. Uh, explain that a little bit more. Well, I, I've been in the game 47 years, uh, and the game has changed tremendously. Well, then when people ask you, well, okay, it's changed. Good for bad? I said, no, it's just changed. Yeah. 
would I like to, to have a different approach? Maybe right now we're going through a tough time with strikeouts in the game. Well, at, at one point in, in my career and one point in our teaching, that was a huge no-no, yeah. strikeouts. Well, today it's acceptable. I mean, they, they just allow guys. Now, is that good or bad? Uh, no, it's different, although we're starting to say, ah, maybe we better work on this strikeout thing a little bit. And, and that's, <clears throat> that goes back to, to, the, to the rosin only and not being able to use stickum. It's not to get on pitchers. It's to try to make it easier for the hitters mm -hmm. to, to give the pitchers less of an advantage. Mm -hmm. so, so the game is trying to change again. Uh, you know, and so it's, it's different. It's ever-changing. It's, it's like life. You know, it, it just cycles through. And uh, the older you get, the more cycles you go through. And, and the more you look back and say, I remember 20, 30 years ago, that was popular. Clothes, certain yeah. types of clothes and stuff. And, and all of a sudden it's coming back and the kids, oh, this is so cool. Well, uh, yeah, I remember when that was cool back then. Yeah. You know, you didn't have this. This, this is new. <laughs> Only we have this. It all circles back. It does. At one point or another, it comes around and baseball's doing the same thing. Do you have moments where you look at all the information that you have at your disposal to help these players get better and think, yeah, that wouldn't have been too bad to have when I played. I could have done this or that or prolonged my career in this way or that way. There's no doubt. I would have loved to have had this information back when I played. I wonder how much better of a player I would be. On the other hand, too much information is not good also. Yes. You, can, you can get too much information and overload that computer in your head and you start thinking about things that are not important or, or you shouldn't be thinking about while you're actually playing the game. So it works both ways. Uh, and, and we try to make sure we don't give too much information to, to players. It, it, we have to be smart enough to divvy it out to what guys can accept and not give them too much. So each yeah. player is different what they can handle and process without making the game too tough and without taking them out of the game. Yeah, you were a catcher. I know this is an oversimplified example, but I'm just thinking, all right, I'm behind the plate. The pitcher I'm catching for has an amazing slider. Well, they, they told me this batter loves sliders. What do I do? And all of a sudden you're back and forth in your mind about what pitch to call. You know, there, there's basic rules that we still go with. You always go with the pitcher's strength. Yeah. Uh, so, so you tend to, okay, we're going to go with that slider. now. If his second best pitch is a changeup, and he has as good a command with that changeup as the slider, and this guy doesn't hit changeups, well, that may change it towards a changeup. But you always, and, and that's been universal, you always go with the pitcher's strength. You don't let a hitter's strength overrule what you're going to call. One of the things I think is cool to hear, you've told me a few stories over the years of, of guys that you managed back in the day. They then had their own playing career, it finished out, maybe they're getting into coaching or managing. The, the volume of guys that you're still in contact with today from, from your career, I, I think is, is pretty cool. Is that one of the most satisfying parts of the job? Yeah, it really is. I have players, in fact, I've got a player I've got to get a hold of now that played for me in 87. I have not spoken to him since 87. I've not heard from him uh, since 1987. And we accidentally, he lives in Wisconsin. He lives uh, in, uh, we, we were in Appleton doing the alt, alt site. And it turns out he lives there. Oh, wow. And, and he got a hold of me while we had to do the COVID. So we weren't allowed to go meet people mm -hmm. outside of our pod. But now that we're all vaccinated and, and things have changed, he's going to be in Nashville. So I'm going to get to see him. 
and and it'll be interesting to see him because I haven't talked to him, I haven't heard from him, I haven't seen him since 1987. And as soon as I heard his name, I said, yeah, I remember him third base. I yeah. remember. Now, that doesn't always happen. I run into players or or guys that I'll run into the game, and I think, okay, he played for me, <laughs> and I have to scratch my head. Yeah. I, I can't. I, there, there's too many, and I've been in so many different places. You don't quite put them together. Uh, Alex Pelias plays with this club here, and he played for me. Uh, in 2001, 2002, and maybe 2003 in Portland, Oregon. And, you know, we called him the plumber, and, and he got some big league time. He became one of those guys that got that cup of coffee in the big leagues, and we still talk about it. We still remember it. It's fun to run into those guys. Is, I know I'm putting you on the spot, but is there a call-up story that comes to mind, either because you happen to be in the oddest place you thought you'd ever be to have to break that news because the guy had to go, or a time that you, you know, for lack of a better word, pranked a guy when you told him he was going up? What, what comes to mind? Because there have been a lot of them. Well, yeah, and you don't prank a guy. Yeah, it's the wrong word, but yeah. you, you might mislead I, I him at the outset first. Well, well <laughs> I, I think the best one, the one I remember the most is Nate Orff, which is just uh, yeah. a few years ago. Uh, and, and it, you know, Nate Orff is a quality AAA player, and, and everybody loves him, and he knows the game. He's smart. But, uh, you know, you, you're just not sure if he's ever going to make it. And, and we finally had the chance, because he was a favorite yeah. of not only me, but every teammate he had and everybody that knew him. And uh, I got the call in uh, Round Rock, and they said, hey, we're going to call him up. We haven't told anybody yet. Get the video guy to get the camera ready. We want it videotaped because we all want to yeah. see it. Yeah. So, so I made sure I got him set up, and then... I walked out in the clubhouse and and I, I couldn't see him and I got on a chair and then I stood up on a table in the middle of the room and I said, Hey, give me your attention. The guys were coming out of the shower with their with their towels on and you know there were guys standing around and I just looked around and I couldn't see him. I was getting a little panicked. And then I saw him. And I just pointed at him and I said, You, Nate Orff, you're a big leaguer. Hair on my arm standing up right now. Yeah. Place erupted. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, everybody was so happy for him. And, and he's been up a couple times since then. Yeah. But that one stands out. Another one that stands out is, is, is a guy that played for me in Louisville. And uh, he, he was at the end of his career. I think he was probably 35, 36. He had not been in the big leagues. He had had one cup of coffee earlier, but that was 10 years ago. And all of a sudden, they needed a pitcher real quick in the big leagues. And they, they wanted to, hey, this guy deserves it. He's pitching well. He, you know, he, he's a great leader down there. Mm -hmm. Well, I went out. I grabbed the coaches and said, hey, come on, let's go. And so we walked out. Well, he was in the shower. So I grabbed everybody in the clubhouse. I said, hey, let's go, everybody with me. So we, we walked in the shower, and he's in the corner of the shower, and, and he's got soap all over his hair. So his eyes are closed, and he's washing his hair, and he you know rinses it off, and he turns around, and here's the whole team in the shower, <laughs> standing there looking at him. And, and, and I remember the look on his face. He goes, what? And I said, I just looked at him, and I said, I just wanted to see what a big leaguer looked like, and turned around walked out of the room, and every guy in the room just bombarded him in the, in the shower. Yeah. Uh, happy for him because he was going to get to go back to the big leagues yeah. and uh, so stuff like that you know situations arise where you get to have fun with it I love to do it in front of the team yes 
because the team, it's a reward not only for that individual, it's a reward for the team. And especially when it's those special guys that, that aren't expecting it or maybe you're not sure they're the guys. You know, we send some guys up three, four, five times a year. Yeah. They're, they're on that, that yo-yo. Uh, but when you get to send a guy up like that, that, that it's their first time or it's a special deal, uh, I, I like to do it in front of the team and let everybody experience the joy of that call-up. Well, I think that's well said, and I've, I've told people this about AAA too, because yes, you well know, AAA baseball has the, the reputation or the stereotype of being where all the, all the bitter guys are because they're not in the big leagues. True to a small degree, but what I constantly am impressed by, by the guys in these clubhouses and the guys that you manage, is that while for a moment the guy out there who wasn't called up might be thinking, I wish that were me, they also realize how hard it is for anybody to get there. So they immediately are still happy for their teammate. There is that individual component, but they're all mutually trying to climb the same mountain so they all share the joy without a doubt and and they you know we've sent a couple guys up when ashby went up you know ashby pitched an a ball last year and when i called him in the office and told him he was going up everybody was happy for him It, it was a special moment that everybody got to experience uh there have been times where I've actually gone, everybody knew that somebody was probably going to get called up, and they knew there were two or three options for that call up. I've actually gone to the guy that didn't get called up and talked to him first yeah. and said, hey, you're not, you're not the guy going up. Here's why. I just wanted to let you know ahead of time and, and kind of prepare them. And they've always come back and, and been happy for the guy that did get the call. Uh, so I, I've reversed that a few times. It, it's, it's a big deal. And... You're right. For every guy that gets called up, it affects three, four, five other guys. Not only here, but if a guy's going up, I'm probably getting a guy coming back that's not happy about it. And and so it's it's a constant. uh, It's important that I communicate with everybody involved to make sure I I take it off my shoulders, put it on their shoulders. How are you going to deal with it? You know, and, and I give them some time. I give them a little space, but not too much space. You know, they, they got to get back focused mm-hmm. on their game. Do you have uh, <laughs> any, any pet peeves as a manager that, that you, I know you don't have a lot of rules per se for your players, but uh, there've got to be some things that you say, hey, at the end of the day, we're, we're not at least going to do A, B, or C here, guys. Well, <laughs> I, I think respect of the game is yeah. the important part. Uh, you know, everybody has the basic rules, show up on time, play hard. But I, I think the respect of the game is important to me. Uh, you know, uh, dress and attire, uh, performance on the field, how they handle <clears throat> situations on the field, uh, how they handle umpires, how they d- deal with, with uh, uh, the fans and, and, pe- and the press and people like that. So I, I, you're right. I have very few rules. Yeah, show up on time, play hard. That's a, that's, that's, that's a basic rule. Mm-hmm. But for me, I, I think communication and respect of the game in that this is, a, this is a beautiful game, it's a wonderful game, it's been around forever, and we're not gonna change it. Mm-hmm. It is what it is, it's still 60 feet, six inches, it's still 90 feet, and uh, you know the ball may fly further at times and it may not fly further at times, yeah. but the basic parts of the game are still in place, respect it. With, with the last name Sweet, as you well know, a lot of times last names morph into nicknames around the game. People put a Y at the end or an IE, and some people, a lot of people around the game will call you 
Sweetie, which uh, I'll admit the first time I met you and said that, you know, I kind of had to think about it for a second. Hey, sweetie, how are you? Uh, it's, it's gotten you into some explanation uh, situations over the years. Can you share a story? Yeah, it, it actually gets me and other people <laughs> in, into situations. Uh, and I have, I have guys tell me all the time, no way I'm going to call you sweetie. <laughs> Within a week, they all are. It, it's uh, well over 90% of people call me sweetie. And, and I answer that. If somebody called me Rick, I may not turn around. Uh, I may not. I would answer to bigote, which is mustache in Spanish, because that's what most, uh, not most, but a lot of players have called me in the past. But the nickname Sweetie uh, has gotten me and other people in trouble at times. Uh, and, and it's kind of funny. A couple of stories. One uh, I, I was working for the Cincinnati Reds, and our minor league direct, our assistant minor league director, uh, would call me all the time. Well, his lovely wife was nine months pregnant, and he would be talking to me on the phone at one o'clock in the morning for about three or four nights in a row because we were having moves and stuff like that. We'd finish our game, and, and I'd call him. Well, he was in, be in his office at one o'clock in the morning, and he'd be calling me sweetie. <laughs> And his wife was, you know, ready to have a baby at any time. And finally, after about the third night of, of him talking to Sweetie, she goes, who, she barged in the office and goes, who the hell's Sweetie? And, and he was kind of shocked. Well, what do you mean? He goes, you've been talking to Sweetie here for the last three nights at 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, what's going on? And he goes, oh, my God. He had to pull out the, the book and show her my last name and explain to her. And, and, and he told me the story. Well, I, I met her the next year. And I said, well, I'm the other sweetie in his life. And she turned beet red. She was so embarrassed. He'd already you know, had the baby. The baby was a year old by then. It was hilarious. But those things happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, had, I've, I've been out in public. I was playing golf with one of my best friends. And this was like 30, 40 years ago. We, I was with the Mets. And, and Gary Rasich was his name. And his nickname was Cowboy. So we got Cowboy and Sweetie, and we're playing in this golf tournament with a couple of, uh, at that time, older gentlemen, probably my age, <laughs> and, and we'd never met him before, but we're, we're playing golf with him. Well, you know, he's calling me Sweetie. I'm lining up a putt. Come on, Sweetie, sink it. And I go, all right, Cowboy, let's go. And finally, you know, I'm over a putt, and he goes, come on, Sweetie, let's go. We need this putt. <laughs> and I look up, and these two old guys shaking their heads, they're walking away. They've had enough of Sweetie and Cowboy. <laughs> And, and it hit me instantly because it happens. I said, whoa, whoa, hey, guys, guys, wait. Let me explain this to you. We're baseball players, you know, here with yeah. the Mets. We're, we're, you know, we're not outside people. We're, and, and my last name, I, I had to pull my wallet out of my bag and show them my last name is Sweet. You know, everybody calls me Sweetie, sweetie and they played with us the rest of the day, but I'm not sure they, they believed the whole story. So, Did you make the putt? Uh, oh, I, I don't remember, but it's hilarious to see people's reactions. And, yeah. and nowadays, I'll, I'll have coaches, we'll be like, we're on a road trip and, and say we're at the grocery store or somewhere getting stuff, and, and somebody will go, hey, sweetie, do we need anything? And, and you'll see people just kind of turn their heads like, uh, you know, I'm going to get out of this aisle. I, yeah. You know, here's these two guys, you know, calling sweet each other sweetie. And, and it's hilarious. And I've had some 
people, good friends and stuff do it on purpose. Yeah. And just to see people's reaction, because yeah. you get a reaction. Yeah. And it's so it's a it's a fun name. It always keeps you on edge, and and like I said, it's 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 a name that that uh, I don't know if it fits, but it, it's definitely my name, and and I answer to it. Well, this was a lot of fun, and you've got a job where your phone is not allowed to be off. So thank you for the time. I'm sure you've had 30 emails and 15 texts coming through. Why aren't you responding to me right now? So I'll let you go. There's a ball game tonight, but a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, it was fun to talk and and fun to talk about those stories because. In my 47 years, I've, I've had a lot of fun in this game. Sounds manager Rick Sweet, this is Jeff Hem. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Rounding Third. Thank you for listening to Rounding Third, the official podcast of the Nashville Sounds. For more information about Sounds Baseball and this podcast, visit nashvillesounds.com slash podcasts.